What's up, guys? Um, <clears throat> if you uh, if you see me like periodically sipping from this, it's because I got a cold. Actually, my daughter got her first cold. Uh, yeah, it sucked. She uh, she doesn't sleep initially, and so you add a cold to the mix, and it's like it's like Armageddon in our house. And not only are we not sleeping, I got the freaking cold, so that's fun. So I'm gonna be drinking a little bit of Lacroix as we uh, journey through God's word tonight. Um, anyways, my name's Stephen. Um, I am on staff at Sovereign Hope. Um, I kind of run GCF. Um, so welcome. I just want to welcome you guys. This is kind of the time where we, uh, we open up God's word. We walk through it. Uh, we explore what God has to say about himself and about us. And so uh, we, we're going through this theme this year. And our theme is, is it worth it? And we're kind of looking at Jesus and the Christian faith and kind of asking that question about the Christian faith. Like, is it worth it? And last week, Tyler uh, walked us through, uh, is Jesus worth your time? And so he kind of... Uh, Using that question, that framework, walked us through asking that question, is Jesus worth your time? And um, throughout the year, that's what we're looking at. Is Jesus worth X? Is Jesus worth your time, your community, your comfort, your life? And so um, tonight, we're actually going to be talking about community. And the question, is Jesus worth your community? Um, And so we all kind of have our communities on campus, right? Like almost all of us in here, you in here, I don't live on campus, I'm married, I have a baby, but uh, most of you live on campus, right? And you guys have your various communities, right? So like starting with your like program, if you're in biology, if you're in law school, if you're in the English department, whatever it is, you like, those are the people you're hanging out with during like study hours, right? Like where you're in class, these are the professors you're around, these are the people you study with, um, if you study. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's a community. That's a community. And you're immersed in it. And kind of moving out from there, you have, you have like, you, you want to have fun, right? And so you, you, you like sports, you're, you're on an intramural squad, you're on a hoops team, water polo maybe. Uh, that's actually a thing here. Um, or D&D, that, that could be your thing too. Um, not to point any fingers, but uh, I won't stick to the script. Sorry. Um, <laughs> We have communities. We have these communities and subcultures that we're immersed in on campus and kind of dotted throughout campus. And so um, even tonight, what we're doing right here, this is a community. We are a community together. We're friends. You guys are students. You guys are together, immersed together, learning from each other, becoming, building relationships. What I'm trying to say is we all are participating and immersed in community. Um, And as with everything in life, from a Christian worldview, there is a reason for our constant gravity towards community. There's a reason we're drawn to other people. And myself, as an introvert, uh, as much as like us introverts don't want to admit that, that we're you know, drawn to relationships, um, uh, we, we like our quiet time, right? We like our own time. As the, uh, as the great theologian Aziz Ansari once said, uh, treat yourself, right? Like we like... <laughs> I, I like my quiet time with a, with a good Sanderson book or binging the, the latest Marvel series on Netflix. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. But that being said, um, no matter how you're wired, whether you're introvert or extrovert, you're still drawn to other people, right? Like, all of us are. All of us are drawn to other people. It's self-evident by the fact that you're in here right now, you're kind of drawn to other people. Um, we are not intended to live life alone. We're not intended to experience life alone. We don't want to live life alone. And God himself, at the very beginning of creation, when he created man, said it is not good for man to be alone. And while he was talking about marriage, that is a truth that remains for all of us, whether married or not. It is not good that we remain alone. And we experience that truth practically in the like, uh, just 
it's easier to study with a study partner sometimes to like quiz you, challenge you. And emotionally, in the like, you get like you get, can get lonely on campus, especially if you're a freshman. Like you're away from your family, you're trying to make friends. Like you get homesick and you can be lonely. So we can experience that truth that we're not wired to be alone. We can experience practically and emotionally. And the reality of that, the reason for that, is because we are made as humans in the image of God. We have been created by God in the image of God, which means we have characteristics and traits that are not unique to us, but they reflect the character and traits of God. And so to be an image bearer of God means that we have, as part of who we are, characteristics and traits that reflect God. Um, It's why the standard for human love can be the love of God. It's why the standard for grace and mercy and compassion amongst us is is the... the standard of God's mercy, grace, and compassion. And uh, the reason for that is because God is Trinity. Most of you guys have, have, have heard that word before. Um, basically, Trinity is just the word that refers to one God being three persons. Um, and how that works, like, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, if you have a good explanation, help me out, because I, I don't got one, but I'm okay with that, right? Because I'm like, I'm a finite, fallen creature, and God is infinite and perfect, and there are going to be things I don't know and I don't get. But the fact is, the truth is, God's word describes God, one God as being three persons in the Trinity, and that's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so throughout God's word, we're given these glimpses into what that is, what the Trinity is, and what each member, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, their role in the reality of our lives. And so um, open up, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to John 17, verse 20, starting in verse 20, um, and we're going to go through verse 26, all right? <clears throat> so John 17, verse 20 through 26, and uh, what I want you to listen for is the relationship between, between Jesus, he's praying to God the Father. I want you to listen for the relationship between Jesus and God the Father as Jesus himself is describing it, okay? So verse 20, I do not ask for these only, this is Jesus speaking, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Excuse me. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, and they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be able, uh, may, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So did you guys hear that like intimate, personal, relational language that Jesus was using as he was talking, praying to God the Father? Moreover, Did you notice the when of when that relationship happened or started? Look back to verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the foundations of the world, 
before humanity existed, before anything existed on the earth, before the earth itself existed, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit existed in perfect, intimate community. There was a love present there that, um, that, that we can't rightly know and understand without him. Um, there existed this, this, this cataclysmic, cosmic combustion of love and joy that makes an earthquake look like a pin drop. And uh, I'm sure most of you, like being on campus, like in this secular setting, have heard of this like criticism or even argument against like the existence of a creator God. As in like, why, if, if there is a God, did he create us? Oh, it was because he was lonely. Oh, it was because he needed us. He wanted someone to share his creation with him. But uh, just a rudimentary understanding of the Trinity as we just explored in a single text a rudimentary understanding of the Trinity just dispels that notion because the triune God of the Bible has never been lonely and has never been lacking love because since forever, like eternity past, just eternity we can't even understand, but eternity past, God existed in community, perfect, loving, relational community. And... Uh, Sorry, I lost my space. Yeah. Um, God the Father, eternity past, existed in community. And do you know what's really special about that community? It's that as men and women that were made in the image of God, as we described earlier, we are made to experience and to reflect that cataclysmic love and joy in our lives. Because we're made in the image of God, he's given us the capacity to reflect that perfect community. What you and I experience in our uh, water polo teams, our hoops squads, our communities here at GCF, our communities and our departments, what we experience in the, in the joy and the relational, uh, what we get out of that, it is, it is all a shadow. It is a reflection in one way or another of the fact that we were created for community. We were created to relate to other people. And so I would ask this question, is Jesus worth your community? So I want you to look back at John 17, and we're just gonna read verse 22 and 23 really quickly. Verse 22 and 23, the glory that you have given me, this is Jesus again speaking to God the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The best times that you will spend with your closest friends, the pinnacle of, of joy and happiness and fun and relational depth that you're gonna experience with your closest friends it cannot compare to the perfection that exists between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet, what does that verse say? What is Jesus saying about that love? He's saying we get to go into it. He's saying we get to be part of that perfect, intimate love. Like, read, read, that, read that again. 
that I may be in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. We get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that unique, special, perfect pinnacle of love. And the way that he draws us into that love, the, the, the mode by which he draws us into that relationship is through our salvation, is through the gospel of Jesus. We get to experience that perfect unity, that perfect love, and that perfect joy because Jesus and his gospel. You see, Jesus worth, is worth our community because everything good you find and experience in the best community is a drop in the bucket of the joy you will experience in the community of God and your salvation. Jesus is worth your community. That whole section in John 17 is Jesus praying to God that we participate, that the people that don't know him yet will come to him so that we can experience the depth of that joy. And so that kind of begs the question, what is that love? What is that love of Jesus? It's the love that was poured out through the blood of Christ on the cross of Calvary the love and joy and acceptance and the relationships that we're looking for, that we're drawn to in our lives, they're not meant to fulfill us because Jesus already did. Those communities are meant to point us to the world-shaping reality of the community of God himself that we get to experience in salvation. So, is Jesus worth your community? Or Jesus is worth your community, statement, not question. Um, but what does that mean? So we, it, it's just been a brief period talking about that big truth, that big truth of how we relate to God, about how we relate to God through the gospel and about how our community is found perfect in the community of our salvation. And so um, what I wanna do with that idea is I, I wanna walk through a text really quick, Romans 12 with Chase read, and I wanna look at these practical spaces of where we relate to others differently because of how we relate to God. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans 12, and we're going to walk through um, the first two verses really quickly. Um, so Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and what is acceptable and perfect. And so this text right here just follows a, a brief explanation of the fact that our lives are spent to glorify God. And so, um, therefore, I appeal to you, live your lives uh, as living sacrifices, the renewal of your minds. The renewal of your minds is that ideal that we just talked about, that ideal of how we relate to God through the gospel as the pinnacle of relationship, okay? And uh, uh, the, the present your bodies as a living sacrifice in that verse, um, that is gonna kind of be the launch pad for where we're gonna look at the practical implications of our text tonight. Um, because here's the thing, all right? Like, here's the thing. People suck, right? Especially as introverts know that, right? People stink. Um, and I'm not just saying that as an introvert who can often be selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, which I can be, but the reality is people are broken. People are sinners. People screw up, people mess up. 
right? We offend each other. Uh, but what we're doing tonight, and I just want to take a brief aside really quick. What we're doing tonight is we are looking at, for the rest of our time, the horizontal relationships that we have in this world. Okay, we're going to look at the horizontal implications of this massive vertical truth that the perfect community is found in how you relate to God. Okay, does that make sense? You guys rolling with that? See? That's yes in Spanish. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so as Christians, just th that vertical, like that vertical ideal we talked about, those vertical truths are, um, those are how we personally as Christians experience uh, God and our salvation. Um, it is how we are restored to God. It's our understanding of those big, massive truths that shape reality and shape who we are. Um, it's how we relate to God. And so, as I said, what we're doing is we're taking this massive vertical truth and spreading out horizontally. And I want to go full nerd here, okay? Um, I, I love Tolkien, and I love Middle Earth, okay? And uh, there is this, the movies don't do it justice, but there's this point where, um, what do you mean, what? The movies don't do it justice? Are you kidding me? Read the books, bruh. <laughs> there's this point where, where, where the Fellowship of the Ring is going to Lothlorien, and it's this, it's this little elven-like realm and city nestled at the base of the Misty Mountains, okay? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a forest. It's one of the most beautiful forests in all of Middle Earth, okay? Roll with me, okay? I said we're going full nerd. Just track with me, okay? It's one of the most beautiful places in all of Middle Earth, and there's these trees there, these giant, massive trees. Imagine a, like, a, uh, a stump the size of like a small house, okay? And the bark is silver, like it has this silver bark and extending hundreds and hundreds of feet into the air are these leaves. And in the autumn, instead of these leaves falling off the ground, they turn golden. And so in the autumn, you have these golden canopies covering this beautiful landscape. And, and, and then in, in the spring, the, the boughs of the tree would bloom these yellow, vibrant flowers, and then they would fall off and litter the landscape. And so what Lothlorien would look like at certain seasons is this golden canopy with these silver trees and dotted and dotting the landscape are these yellow flowers, these beautiful yellow flowers. Um, and not only is it just this natural, beautiful thing, but the elven people, they built like these, these, these homes around the boughs of the trees. They'd have suspended bridges between the trees and they'd have these, these, these stairs rolling up around them. And it was just this beautiful, incredible thing. I told you we were going full nerds. Stop laughing at me. <laughs> But the point is, is the bigger that tree got, the more beautiful that tree got, the more flowers that bloomed, when those, when those leaves were golden, the greater impact it had on the landscape surrounding it, the greater impact it had on how beautiful Lothlorien became. Think of knowing God and truth about God and who God is through God's word. Think about knowing God as the growth of that tree, as the growth of that beautiful and vibrant tree, the bigger that that tree gets, the greater you understand who God is and who Jesus is, the greater the landscape around it is affected. The more beautiful the landscape becomes, the more houses can be built around, the more bridges that can be suspended. The more you know and believe the truths about God, the more the landscape of your life will be affected by those truths. You see, what we experience vertically between you and God, me and God, 
the reality is, is only I can screw that up, right? Like between me and God, only I can believe wrongly. But as we stretch out our lives into this landscape of Lothlorien, as we, as we relate to one another, that a lot more people than just me can screw that up, right? We're, like we're all sinners. Like, like I said, we're going to offend each other, right? Like we're going to make side comments that we think is nothing but actually really hurts someone's soul. Or we're just going to forget about a coffee date we had with somebody. I've never done that before. And, and it's going to really offend somebody. The reality about these horizontal relationships is it's not just me. It's not just you that can, that can throw a wrench in that, that can, that can affect that in a negative way. We're all sinners. We're all broken. And that's why in that first part of that verse, Paul says, lay down your lives as a living sacrifice. There is an expectation of grace in our relationships as Christians. There should be an expectation of grace and mercy and kindness and understanding even beyond what is normal. And so the reality is you're going to be put in circumstances where you're offended or where you're offending people, right? All of us are. We all have. And so that's why Paul says, lay down your lives as a living sacrifice. Sacrifice your preferences. Sacrifice your offense for the sake of how you relate to each other. So that's kind of the, the groundwork for like the next part of our text that we're moving into, um, which is Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Uh, for by grace, yeah, for by grace given to me, or by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Excuse me, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So the first space, the first horizontal implication of how we relate to others in this text, the first space that we relate to others is in the church. The people of God. That metaphor, one body, members of one body, that's, that's, a, that's a metaphor used all throughout the New Testament talking about the church. And when we talk about the church, if you were at Sovereign Hope like a week and a half ago, we talked about what being a church was like. Tyler preached at Sovereign Hope what, about what being a healthy church looks like. And there's, there's kind of two, two kind of broad definitions of the church. One is the broad definition of the church, capital C church, that is all Christians throughout all time are the church, right? Christians in Zambia, in 19th century Russia, all Christians throughout all time are part of the capital C global church. And then within that, there are local churches, right? Like we have several, many churches, and we have a lot of churches in Missoula, right? Those are all local expressions of that global church. And so um, the, the, the reality of this text is that what Paul's saying is you, you, you're not saved. You don't live your life to the glory of God apart from other people. You were not saved into isolation. As a redeemed soul, you were saved into the church. In, like the reality is like, in, especially today, 2018, like we can, even ourselves, talk about like organized religion, uh, church, 
like the church, we can t- kind of talk badly about it or think badly about it. Um, but really all this is is an outworking of this presupposition that you are the master of your own faith. You are the definer of your own spirituality. Um, it's the result of a culture that preaches autonomy and self-definition as an ultimate good. But as Christians, we are not saved into autonomous isolation. We are saved into the people of God. See, in verse, in verse four of that text, Paul says, for as one body, we have many members. That is one body, one people. Not one person, one people. And so the first practical truth of tonight, the first thing I want to give you guys practically moving forward is be part of a church, right? Like this is a ministry of Sovereign Hope Church. So if you don't have a church, come check out Sovereign Hope. We'd love to have you. But it, if, if it doesn't work for you, if it doesn't work out for you, the time, you just don't like it. I know there's some there's student leaders that go to different church, a different church. So just find a local body of believers where you can express your gifts, where you can serve, where you can love on people. Because that's what we were saved into, not isolation. Find a church and commit to being um, a people of God, not a person of God. Uh, now continue reading with me. We're going to go into the second implication, the second kind of like uh, broad um, expression of what, uh, how we relate to others. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Uh, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The second implication of a gospel-shaped community is discipleship. The first, broadly, the, the global church, down to the local church, down to even more intimately, is discipleship. Um, I have a daughter. I said earlier, right? Six, sleepless daughter. Um, I think she's getting to the age where she finally recognizes mama and papa. And it's freaking adorable, right? Like I wake up in the morning, I open up her little swaddle. She does her little stretches. And then she looks up and she sees, you know, her papa's face, because of course I get the best smiles. She sees her papa's face, curls her arms in and brings her knees up and just smiles and makes noise. And it's the most adorable thing in the world, right? It's this like, oh, it, it warms my heart more than anything. I, like I, I can't even just put into words how much it warms my heart. That kind of reaction is that genuine love, that brotherly affection, that reaction where you, you care so deeply for somebody that you, it, it, it's emotional, it's intentional, it's real. You see, when you begin to relate to God rightly, and when you begin to understand the deep love of Christ through the cross, then you can begin to understand and relate to others as a reflection of how God has related to you, which is that intimate, reactionary, brotherly, genuine love. When the majestic, golden leaf and silver barked tree of Lothlordian grows, the landscape is forever changed. 
See, one of the things we are most passionate about here at GCF is discipleship. It's something we really hit hard the last two years, um, and that's not going to change. Uh, um, excuse me, because GCF, we're not a church. We're part of a church, right? And so I think a good word to describe what this is, it's a community to be sure, but it's discipleship. It's happening all over the place, and it should be happening all over the place. And so like that word, discipleship, along with a lot of other Christian words, could kind of be like just noise, white noise, right? Like we've heard it so many times. So we have a definition for what discipleship is. Um, and discipleship, it'll be on the screen, is helping each other follow Jesus in all of life through the gospel, Okay? Helping each other follow Jesus is obeying scripture, learning truths about God, uh, uh, pressing into sin and celebrating righteousness. In all of life means nothing's off limits. means nothing's off limits. Every part of your life is, is part of discipleship and growing with one another. And through the gospel, that's where we began with the Trinity and how we relate to God. See, what's going to have the greatest effect in your life is adjusting what you believe about God and how you relate to God. Because the reality is every good thing we do, every good thought we have is a response of our experience with the truths of God. It's, our, it's a response to what we believe about God. And so with discipleship, uh, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> excuse me, um, discipleship, it begins with that genuine love, that brotherly affection. And, and that genuine love and that brotherly affection um, that begins with, with, with intimacy and, and openness and transparency, transparency and honesty. See, how many, how many of your, just ask you this question. Sorry, man, I'm struggling. <clears throat> how many of your friends actually know you? Actually know you. Not know K-N-O-W, but italicized K-N-O-W. <laughs> how many of them know you? Not the face you put on to mask your insecurities or the language you, you use to hide your ignorance. Not the person you become so you can fit in or fit out. But how many people actually know the core of who you are? They know your biggest dreams and your, your greatest fears. They know your greatest pains and your greatest successes. See, discipleship begins with that kind of genuine love, that kind of brotherly affection honesty and transparency. And that's the hard part. That's the reality of all this. That is like, I think more even than even believing and saying we believe the right things about God, this honesty and transparency with people is probably the hardest thing we're going to talk about tonight. And it's not just being honest like ourselves. I think what's even harder than that is being honest with others when we see turbulence in their life, when we see things that we might think are sin or struggles. There's a, a, a German, um, a German uh, excuse me, theologian, um, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He, was a, uh, he, he lived in Nazi Germany during the time of Nazi Germany, and he was a, he's a pastor, he's a preacher, he's a writer. He, was a, um, he also fought against uh, the Germans um, during, the, uh, during Nazi Germany, and he has this quote. He has this, wrote this, actually wrote this book called Life Together. This is just beautiful. Talks about community. Talks about what we're talking about tonight. Um, but there's this quote in it, and this is his quote. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, uh, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship, discipleship, relationship, community, does not occur because 
though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous, so we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is, is that we are sinners. Guys, the, one of the least loving things you can do is see someone in what you perceive to be life-altering, life-damaging sin and say absolutely nothing about it. Say nothing about it. The reality of living in community, a discipleship community, is the fact that we're still broken. We're fallen creatures that screw up from time to time. Right? We have bent desires. We misunderstand scripture. We read into other people's motives. Uh, we react angrily to confrontation. We neglect our studies. We're inconsiderate of others. To put it simply, we are sinners. To participate in Christian community, genuine Christian community, is to not pretend that we have it all figured out, but it's to admit we don't and ask for help. And it's to help when we see there's help needed. That's why a huge part of our mission here is discipleship at GCF. Like, it's easy for you guys to go to class and live on campus and do your thing and be anonymous, or at least semi-anonymous, and not let people get to italicized K-N-O-W you. And so with that, uh, we're starting something this year, uh, and we're going to be really intentional about it, and we're calling them discipleship groups, um, or D groups for short. And basically what these are is we're separating men and women because, we, like, when you get into the nitty-gritty of people's lives, it's pro probably not wise for men to be sharing their deepest, darkest secrets with women and women to be sharing their deepest, darkest secrets with men. It's just not wise. And so we're separating men and women, and we're going to be in pods of, like, four, five, or six even that... Um, with the intentional, specific aim of being honest, of being genuine, of showing experience that genuine love and brotherly affection. And we're gonna talk more about that next week, actually. Uh, but if you're interested at all in that, um, talk to one of the student leaders, someone that's been around for a while, because most of them are already in, a part of, or are leading a D group. All of our D groups, SANS One, is actually led by student leaders. And so um, it's just gonna be students, it's gonna be you guys growing together, helping each other uh, water that tree, that beautiful tree so that your lives can be um, so affected by it. Um, so like I said, we're going to talk about that next week a little bit more, but I want you guys to really consider what it means to have genuine love and be honest and transparent and uh, to consider that quote from Bonhoeffer. Don't hide your sin. Don't just live in the pious. Don't just live in the hypocrisy. Um, let's read on in our text to the final sphere of, um, of community that we'll experience as Christians in this text. We're going to read the, the rest of um, verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Verse 14. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we have the church in the first part of our text. We have discipleship, that intimate brotherly love. And finally, we have culture. Every part of your life is covered now, even including like marriage and, and parenting, which only two of you in here, I think, are married. Well, one of you. You're, you're, where's Johnny? Hey. Well, I mean, Johnny. Okay. Not, not that Johnny. Not that Johnny. Did he leave? Okay, great. Uh, that worked out well. Anyway, um, there's actually a lot more married couples in here. I don't know how to count, I don't think. The point is, is in marriage and in parenting, uh, you, you experience that discipleship. Uh, but for you guys, the students, especially living on campus, like everything's covered. Now, church, your discipleship community, and then culture everywhere else. Specifically for you guys, that's, that's in your classes, that's in those departments, that's in your D&D group, that's on the water polo squad. Like these are the people that, uh, that don't claim to be a part of the people of God. That's everyone else, that's, that's what's covered here. And um, the reason I can call that an interaction, uh, that those interactions uh, expressions of gospel community is because look at how Jesus experienced community in his culture. Uh, when he was, he blessed those who persecuted him. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was spit on and beaten and mocked and persecuted, never returned any of that. That's exactly what this text is talking about. The response Jesus had to those who persecuted him, the, the, the living with the lowly, as our verse says, who did Jesus hang out with? The lowly, the broken, the downtrodden, the, the, the marginalized and, and persecuted. Christians are not only the people, Christians are not the only people that Christians are gonna live life with. That was a wordy sentence. Christians are not the only people that Christians are gonna spend life with. And I imagine actually some of you probably have more relationships outside of your Christian community than within. But the reality is, how you relate to God doesn't just shape your discipleship and church communities. It shapes how you relate to everyone, including those outside of your church community. These are all traits and attributes and, and goods in, present in that text, that text we just read. Selflessness, humility, kindness, being genuine, generosity, patience, grace, mercy, peaceable, integrity, honorable, a blessing, rejoicing, empathetic. All of those things are present in this text that talks about how to relate to people that don't like you, that aren't like you, that may dock your grade because you talk about something having to do with your faith on an English exam, that make fun of you for whatever reason, that you just don't get along with, or even people that you do get along with outside of the church. All of those things are present in that text. The special thing about these verses, though, is that they come after verses 3 through 13, meaning they come after the expression of the church and the expression of intimate relational discipleship. And the reason for that is because you don't have to do that hard part alone. You don't have to experience the difficulty of living in culture as a Christian alone. That's part of what that discipleship is for. That's part of what the church is for, is to equip you and come alongside you and encourage you and walk you through it and help you think differently about things. Um, but here's the thing, guys. I just want to close with this really quick. Um, 
we can talk about those the practical ways you know that we can uh, relate to each other, that we can relate to other people, that we can be better friends, that we can be more uh, empathetic, that we can be more helpful. Uh, we can talk about all these strategies and all these these D groups and churches and whatever. But there's two simple truths: the fact that how you relate to God will dictate and shape how you relate to others. And how you relate to others must be a reflection of how Jesus has related to us throughout the gospel. None of that, those practical, strategic, none of that D group stuff is going to matter unless you first see the intimate relational beauty of your salvation through the gospel. If your definition of community, if it doesn't start with the perfect community of God and the Trinity and your own experience with Christ through your salvation, then everything else, church, culture, discipleship, it's gonna get out of whack. You have to start with the gospel and your own relationship with Jesus. That is your own faith in Christ. See, if, if you're vertical, I promise this is the last time I'll talk about Lord of the Rings. If your vertical relationship with God is nothing taller than a shrub, then you'll lose the majestic, beautiful landscape that comes with the towering forests of Lothlodian. Let's pray. Father God, um, we are uh, we're broken and sinful and rebellious creatures, Lord, and we are uh, we need help in every sphere of our life, and Lord, tonight specifically, we need help in how to relate to you and how, what that means for how we relate to others, Lord. Father, I just ask that as, uh, as the truth of the gospel becomes more real to us, as we believe it more, as, as we get more, as we hear it more often, as we get more experience with your word, that what would shape our interactions with others isn't the practical um, what works or uh, what I need or what I think I need, but what shapes our reaction, relationships with others is our relationship to you. Father, we need you to believe rightly. We need you to relate rightly. So Father, shape us, mold us, help us believe differently, help us be deferential, help us lay down our lives as living sacrifices for you, for your glory, and for the good of those around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.